Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Stand out of reverence this morning for the reading of God's word. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism were you baptized with? He asked them. With John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid the hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in other languages and to prophesy. Now there were about 12 men in all. Father, thank you this morning, Lord, for the privilege we have to be here this beautiful Lord's Day. Father, thank you for each person, each family represented here God, thank you above all for Jesus Christ, who made possible our ability to have peace, to rejoice, and to have the hope, Father, today that it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to know the forgiveness that's found only in being a follower of Christ. God, I pray today as your word's been proclaimed that you would speak to hearts, Lord, not only in this building, but as our media ministry that is streamed all over the world. God, let men, women, boys, and girls hear that Jesus loves them, that God has a purpose and a plan for them, and I pray you would use it in a mighty way today. Hide me behind the cross, Lord. Let the forgiveness, the freedom, and the hope that is only found in your finished work be the thing that's seen preeminent above all. And we ask this all in the precious name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. may be seated. Listen to verses 1 through 3 again. So when Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions, came to Ephesus, found some disciples, and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him, We haven't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism were you baptized with, he asked. And with John's baptism, they replied. Leaves the first thing I want to share with you this morning is this. Gently help those who do not understand. Remember what John the Baptist was, right? He was the forerunner, the the predecessor. He was coming, proclaiming the one that was coming. Who was coming? Jesus was coming. John the Baptist was about as a man's man as it could ever imagine, right? John the Baptist, what's he eating? Locust man. Hey, this dude is like the proverbial man's man. He is the guy going out there, repent or you will perish. He is paving the way for this new covenant we know, right? Old Testament, old covenant, New Testament, new covenant. He is paving the way from this transitional period. Before this, you'd have this 400-year intertestamental period where nothing really had happened powerfully. It was like there was this pause before the beautiful unveiling of Jesus Christ. But beautiful picture, though, is John the Baptist is coming baptizing a picture of yielding, the picture of restoration of all things that were broken in the Garden of Eden. He is shouting what's coming. Well, then you've got Jesus coming. Jesus came, earthly ministry. Jesus sent it back to heaven after the crucifixion, resurrection. 
You've got Paul, remember, we're in the infancy of the church here. So you've got all this, wait, John the Baptist came through here. We heard about the baptism of John the Baptist. I don't know about this Holy Spirit. Remember what happened at Pentecost? Now, by the way, Pentecost just wasn't a people getting up and speaking in languages for no reason. And No, remember what happened. God brought them from all over the world. Ready? All over the world. What was done is at Pentecost, the languages of the people who had come from all over the world, their native languages were spoken, so each person heard the truth, the gospel truth in their own language. People don't understand that, the interaction that happens at Pentecost. Why would somebody be speaking in languages that no one would understand? That wouldn't, right? That wouldn't make sense, would it? No, they were speaking in the native languages from every nation represented on the face of the earth. So when I referenced that documentary that I watched, as a matter of fact, I had a long conversation with John this morning about it, talking about this documentary I watched, two British guys, no church, no spiritual background at all. They went down to uh, South America because they'd heard about an unreached people group that had not had any contact with the outside. Naturally, humans are going to do that, right? Just leave the people alone. But they, they want to go and, and meet these people. So they go to this. There's a sister tribe that actually has limited engagement with this tribe. They go and ask them, hey, we'd like to come live with you. We want to get to know this tribe eventually. They spend two years learning the language, learning everything about this tribe. And then one of the elders sees that they're not just going to try to exploit them and that they're actually wanting to do something productive. So they end up getting a meeting set up with this unreached tribe. Could have cost them their life. They were very aware of that. And then in the video, you really recognize this thing could have gone really bad. Hey, it goes well. They go and live amongst them for 18 months. Fascinating. One of the most fascinating documentaries. These people had zero outside. Zero. They had no exterior pollution at all. Everything was familial. Everything was, was focused around family. Interesting thing, though, that happens. Remember, these people have no spiritual, uh, you know, your, your warped spiritual understanding of what you think is right. No, these people had nothing. So one day, they're, you know, talking with the elders at night. They'd sit around. They'd eat together and sit around the fire. It was really, again, it was very, very, very fellowship and family focused. So, and by the way, they treated these people incredibly. They treated them better than their families. Really astonishing in how kind they were. But I'll never forget, as they're reiterating, as they're saying, they're narrating what they're talking about, one of the elders says, uh, we worship the great Rafafu, who made everything. And we live in the perfect garden. They have no Bible. They have no pastor. They have no missionary. They've had zero contact with the outside world apart from the unface-to-face -face contact with the sister tribe. Is that not ironic? And they didn't want to leave the perfect garden because why would you want to leave the perfect garden? You know what's so awesome about that? The Bible says, God has put eternity in the hearts of man. You know what else it says? The heavens declare the glory, the earth, the work of his hands. You can't look out at this and say, there's no God. There ain't no creator, man. They're just spinning through the abyss. You know, it's kind of like one of those bad uh, horror flicks. It's, we're just kind of, you know, we just happen to pick up some celestial garbage and 
things just started spinning into action. No, when you look at this tiny margin with which the earth is placed in the solar system, do you realize how far away or closer we have to be and things go fundamentally flawed? Meaning, we cease to exist, whether we freeze or whether we burn up. I don't care where you're at on it, but I want to tell you something, man. God is an incredible creator, designer, architect. And it is amazing, even in the human body. I told you last week, sometimes I forget which one I shared it at, but I said, just take one part of the human body, study the eye. You study the complexity of the human eye alone. I just did it mentally in nursing school, but, and I've done it my own, myself. But let me tell you something. God's creation in the human body is staggering. The, there's no room for tolerances, meaning God made the body to function the way it functions, and it, it functions pretty good. And you, uh, you sit back, and, and how often can you even think when you see something with your eyes, we don't see it right side up. We see it upside down. All that has to happen for the human eye to see it, process it, and then what else? You're moving, you're, sta you're standing there with your gyroscope too, right? The human body doesn't naturally want to stand up. Where does it want to go? I know. Older I get, the more it wants to hit the floor when you lose your balance. That's what the human body wants to do. That's what gravity's doing, is inviting us to an encounter with it on the floor. And it's happening every single day. The complexity of God's creation in our bodies is astounding. It's glorious. It's beautiful. So you're going to have people that you're going to run into as they're dealing with right here. This is an issue on the, the Holy Spirit. Very important because as a follower of Jesus Christ, this is not Old Covenant anymore. The, the, the power, the person of God does not dwell anymore in the temple. We are the Holy Spirit of God. We are the temple of the Lord. The Holy Spirit dwells within us as followers of Christ now. What a gift, amen? But a lot of them had not gotten that note, meaning they had heard the baptism of John the Baptist, but they didn't know what it meant to be indwelled by the power of the Holy Spirit as a Christian. A lot of people get nervous. You hear, man, that Holy Spirit stuff might get Pentecostal in here. makes me nervous. doesn't make me nervous because the Holy Spirit of God is the power behind our salvation. When you and I start thinking about doing something that we shouldn't do. You ever thought, oh, I feel like I shouldn't do that. That's the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Welcome to the party. I'm not even welcoming the Holy Spirit. I'm welcoming you and I when we think. I wonder where that came from. Why? Because God is saying to his children, don't do it. Don't. When you want to go to a movie or you want to go do or see something you shouldn't see, think of it this way. All right? Hey, I got a question. Would you go to that movie? Would you go to that if Jesus was with you? Oh, no, I wouldn't take him there. I'd go watch something like, uh, you know, Greater or um, the Jesus Revolution or something. Just remember next time you go, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. You took him anyways. So the next time you go and see something you don't want to see, just remember you're dragging him to the show. Ouch. Uh-huh. But it's the truth. And actually it helps hinder things that I might, in my compromised state, want to do or want to say. Because you start to recognize, wait a minute, I am God's workmanship creating Christ Jesus to do good works. What do I want to do? I want to honor the Lord with my life. God gave much too high a price for us. 
God gave his life for us. I remember in my brokenness in my life, I, man, I've heard the gospel so many times in my life, I'm still astounded at why God was patient and gracious enough to allow me to come to faith in Christ. And I say that with absolute sincerity. Because there's people who never have heard the gospel a, a millionth of the times that I have in my lifetime. But yet here I was, one that ran from the Lord at 15 years old till 29 years old. And God had to basically smoke me and put me down to get me to recognize. And back, by the way, I'd give my life to Christ before he put me down. God just had to put me on the preparation table after the salvation table. And yet God was so gracious in doing that. And I, I still am astounded at how and why God would have done that for me. It just shows the extent of God's love. And you know how much this morning, no matter what you've done, no matter how vile and how filthy you believe you've ever been in your life, and maybe you struggle with, you know, I just don't know how God could love me. By the way, don't put yourself on a, on a pedestal there because I can assure you that you're not bigger than his love. The, the depth of your sin will never exceed the reach of Jesus Christ's redemption. Amen. And you know what's so beautiful about forgiveness? What's so awesome about it is understanding that conceptually when you think about the universe and the, the cosmos, the, 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 the space. The Bible says that when we're forgiven, he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. Now, we see that contextually with the earth. Okay, the eastern and the western hemisphere. Let me just tell you, we are very short-sighted. God removes our sin as from the east and the west. You ready? In time and space. A hundred billion light years away, right? So when you or I have been forgiven and Satan comes back and goes, you remember what you did? Say, I do, but I've been forgiven. It's lost in the sea of God's forgetfulness, never to be remembered no more. Get thee behind me in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Because you have the right when the enemy tries to bring up what God's forgiven, God doesn't even remember it. How about that? How about remembering how important it is then to gently help those who don't understand how many people you run into that are struggling with something that they did. They've been forgiven. You saw their genuine brokenness. The Bible talks about worldly sorrow leads to death, right? Godly sorrow leads to repentance. So godly sorrow when someone realizes they haven't done the right thing Hence the story when I opened up about being at, an, at a business and that person that was a believer that you didn't even know because you're not a Christian, we're supposing in that story. And they talked about everything and downed everything and everyone and everything was terrible and life was miserable and they are just waiting for another job and then they come back and apologize to you. They were convicted by the Spirit and they responded to that. That is a genuine repentance that leads to life, leads to forgiveness. It leads to sorrow, genuine repentance. Worldly sorrow is you're sad you got caught. You weren't caring about your actions or anybody else's for that matter. Doggone it, you just wish you hadn't done what you did to get caught. That's worldly sorrow. And what does that do? It leads to death because it never leads to a true transformed or changed life. So you or I, you run into somebody who's skewed on their understanding of forgiveness be right there, gently help instruct them. Hey, you know what? Why, do you realize what you're doing when you're not accepting the forgiveness that Jesus Christ is doing? You're saying he's not able to forgive you. Do you realize what an, uh, an offense? Do you realize how distasteful that is to say that God can't forgive me? You really think you're that big? 
You really think your sin is so important and you so special that the God of creation can't forgive you? How about we bring you down from this pedestal that Satan has put your sin up on and recognize there is nothing that Jesus Christ can't forgive you and will not forgive you for. The only thing he can't forgive you for is what? Something that you won't ask for forgiveness for. That's the only thing that's limiting the dam of God's blessing that sin, it creates a dam. And you imagine a sinful act, right? You've got a little stream and that sin stays there and we don't want to let it go because maybe we're prideful or whatever. And as it continues to stay dammed up, all of the blessings that God would have given you are dammed up. They're in a big, literally a big puddle of blessing, a pond, a lake. But forgiveness, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what it does? It literally is like a stick of dynamite that blasts out where that sin was. He removes it. And what does it do? It enables the flow of God's blessing to once again be poured on our lives. We can easily get caught in those mindsets. We don't even recognize it. But that unrepented sin or that feeling that maybe your friend goes, yeah, you were pretty bad. You know, I don't know and you're sitting there wallowing in that, that theology is leaving you a victim to the enemy, leaving you in bondage when Jesus came to set you free. He came to give you life. He came to give you peace and hope, not to leave you sitting in pews, your homes or your families, a victim of something that you are no victim of. You've been set free. The only thing you're a victim of is a lie that Satan wants to do more than nothing to define us by a lie. Even though it's not true, what does it do? It hinders you ever from being able to be used to minister to somebody else. So when walking into work in the morning, you're thinking about that sin that God's forgiven you, but the Satan keeps bringing it up. And you walk into work and you're like this, all downcast. And that person that really needed you to share with them and be encouraged and smile and say, hey, how you doing? How was your weekend? Are you doing okay? And them should no, I'm not. My husband is, wants to leave me. My wife wants to leave me. Whatever. I got a loved one with cancer that's been diagnosed with terminal cancer. I just, I don't feel like I have anybody. And by the way, maybe they're not one of those that gets on Facebook and spends hours trying to find people that pretend like they like you but really don't. And they're just genuinely sitting next to you at your house and they have no idea that anybody cares about them. But you got so bound up in this foolish little thing that caused what's this phenomenon called micro-focusing. So you get micro-focused up and they are micro-focused on something that is nothing more than a lie. But because you allowed the lie to take root in your life, you are never going to walk in there and be on the spiritual cloud nine because God is just good and he's faithful and you realize you don't deserve salvation. So you're literally in the stratosphere of excitement. And when you came in, instead of going, hey, how was your weekend? And they're like, oh, hey, what's up? Sit down for a second. We got a few minutes or hey, let's get out lunch. Let's sit down. When you get done, let's talk in the parking lot a minute. And then you're able to help them. And then you realize with them going, you know, I don't, I don't have anybody. You don't have a church? No, I don't have nobody. Hey, why don't you come over to our house, eat dinner with us, or maybe let's go get, let's get lunch. Let's talk about this. I want to tell you something. Hey, if nothing, I love you. You're a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, and you are just as valued as anybody, and I want you to know in the meantime, give me your text. I'm going to start texting you to encourage you, but I want you to know that you are valuable, and don't buy that lie, because you know why? You know how many people that I know and I've done funerals for that one day woke up and one more time than they could handle, were convinced that the world would be a better place without them. Had a conversation with someone the uh, Friday who just a number of uh, years ago 
No one knew how close they were to taking their life, literally by minutes. And God just supernaturally intervened in the situation. But I know personally, I've experienced it. We've experienced it in our association with a pastor. It doesn't matter who you are. The enemy is a liar. And what his desire is to do is to bring us out of God's blessing, his favor, and the plan and purpose that he has for his life. And he wants us to to latch hold of a lie. He wants us to latch hold of anything that's other than his purpose and his plan for our life. He wants us to hang on to some foolishness. He wants us to hang on to that bitter, that angerness, and that guilt, and all of that. Because why? We get comforted by it sometimes. Guess what? Grief, if you're not careful, can become a source of comfort. Be careful. Because what it is, this is what it is. Bitterness, anger, resentment, or even allowing sorrow to become your comfort. Let me just tell you what. You know what Jim Jones down there in Guyana, South America, the People's Temple? Oh, Jim Jones mixed up Kool-Aid. You always hear this proverbial reference to Kool-Aid. He mixed up a bunch of Kool-Aid and over a thousand people drank Kool-Aid. The ones that didn't drink it, they just shot and killed. But the Kool-Aid had cyanide in it. If you know anything about cyanide, it's super deadly. It's super deadly. It doesn't take much, and it'll put you graveyard dead in a very quick and fashionable way, fast. Jim Jones did that. This is what guilt, anger, resentment, and all of these things are like. It's like getting yourself a nice big glass of, you like the blue stuff, right? So you got the blue stuff, and it's got ice in it, and you're like, this is going to be refreshing. This anger and resentment and bitterness and, and, and thriving in this guilt has become such a comfort. It's like when you sit down with a cup of coffee or your lemonade or your tea, and you sit down after a hard day, and, and it's so refreshing. So you've got to be careful because that's what can happen with anger and guilt and bitterness and resentment and all of these activities, and you end up finding comfort in them, but the only problem is you don't realize it'll kill you. But yet we sit there in that hoping someone else will die, the one we're angry at, the one we're bitter at. We're expecting them to die, but yet we're the one drinking the poison, expecting them to die. So we have to let go of this stuff, and that's why any one of us can fall victim to this, just like something as simple as the Holy Spirit through baptism. Paul, the, the, the disciples cared nothing more than them having a good, solid theology that would change lives. I don't want skewed church. I don't want anything about skewed theology. I don't have time for doctrine that is contradictory to truth. I, as I said last week, I won't argue with you about Adam Eve's belly button. We'll have a three-minute conversation. We'll giggle and move on. And if you want to stay on that, I will find you somebody that will argue with you till you're blue in the face because I don't have time for that. I'm getting too old. I'm getting too tired. And I don't have enough time left to argue about things that don't matter. You want to get up in front of me and say, <clears throat> Brother Jonathan, I'm going to tell you, there's only one version of the Bible. Now, you remember, Moses came off Mount Sinai with the King James. And that's the only version that, that Moses came off Mount Sinai. I don't have time to argue with you. I'll have a discussion with you. And actually, I will enlighten you to things about the King James. It came off the, ready? The newest manuscripts, not the oldest. You know that? You know why? Because you remember when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls? The Dead Sea Scrolls are what were used up until 84 with the NIV, I wouldn't touch the NIV anymore, but up until 84, the ESV, the HCS, Beholding Christian Standard Bible, and I can give you many more, were taken off of the oldest manuscripts known to mankind. But we get caught in little things. How about one of these? 
Oh, I know Jesus is going to rapture us out. It's going to be before anything happens. We're out of here. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. No, you can't. You can't know that. Because I can sit down with you scripturally and, and make a position for a pre-tribulation rapture, a mid-trib, a, a, a millennial. I, don't, I can lay out a biblical ability to justify all of those, but this is what matters. It doesn't matter. Why does it matter? What matters is sharing the love of Jesus Christ, seeing people get saved and coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus and becoming who God's called them to. And if the Lord raptures us out, we'll find out at the same time but if we start fighting about it and start getting all dogmatic and, oh, no, no, we do it this way and there's no other way. And if you don't want to do it that, you don't want to believe what we think, just go to the door. I'll do that with you on one thing, on salvation by grace and through faith in Jesus Christ, the virgin-born Savior. You don't believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son and the gift of salvation is found only in Him and the finished work of Jesus Christ, I have nothing for you. And if you want to come in here and tell everybody, nope, no, Jesus wasn't a Savior and he wasn't virgin born, and nope, we're going we're gonna to talk. Amen? Because those are indisputable truths. Does that make sense? Those are, those are truths that are, it doesn't matter. Belly button with Adam and Eve. You can believe they have one or believe they don't. I mean, what do you say, Brother John? What do you think? I don't care. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not giving it that much mental energy. I don't have that much time for that. Amen? I don't, listen, did the chicken come for the egg? I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. What matters is that God has a plan, a purpose, and a call on my life. And what is that? To see people who are lost and broken in sin come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and live out the life, the purpose, and the plan that God has for their life. That's what matters. When we get focused on all these other things, what happens? It's like a mom or dad. You were watching your kid. You only went in to grab your phone. I don't know how they ended up in the pool. It was so quick. It happened so quick. I was right there at the front yard. I just turned around to grab my phone. They were in the road and had been hit. It just happened so fast. You ever heard this? I have, personally. It happened so fast. And that's the same way that the other stuff happens, too. We get caught in some foolishness and end up in a map. We never thought it could happen to us. We didn't think we could be in by some foolish doctrine same way that these people call on the phones and steal thousands of dollars from people. They literally have livings being made in cafes in India and in Nigeria and all over. The, why? Calling Americans and scamming them, many of them senior citizens, out of their retirements and out of homes and all of these things for that matter. You've got to be very vigilant. Amen? You cannot not be vigilant. That's why it's important, most importantly, think about that continually. Help those who don't understand. Realize, sit down, be gracious in sharing with them and encouraging them. And then verse 4, Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people they should believe in the one who would come after him. That is Jesus. Second thing I want to share with you, baptism is about sharing with the world your profession of faith in Jesus. That's what baptism is about, church. It's showing the world what Jesus has done in your life. You professed faith in Christ, believed in him, asked him to be your savior and Lord of your life. You became a follower of Christ then. Why are you getting baptized? Well, I'm going to get baptized so I get saved. You were saved before you got baptized. Amen? What you're doing is allowing the world to see what picture is occurring through your baptism. You're showing the world, hey, I've been crucified with Christ. I don't live but Christ lives in me. I am dying to myself. 
The Lord is raising me. It's the picture of dying to my old self, being raised to walk. It's a proverbial picture of being washed clean by the blood of Christ Jesus. What a beautiful picture. But remember, the waters of baptism, vitally important, but they don't save you. Please understand that. The waters of baptism don't save you. The blood of Christ Jesus and forgiveness of sin and the resurrection of the body and life everlasting, that is what saves you. And I praise God for that this morning. And then the third and final, verses five through seven. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They began to speak in other languages and to prophesy. And there were about 12 men in all. Third and final thing I want to share with you this morning as we close out is without the Holy Spirit, we have nothing as Christians. Without the Holy Spirit, we have nothing as Christians. I'm not going Pentecostal on you. Again, so few people have heard the people just, I don't know why, it's this nervousness about the Holy Spirit. Talk about the Holy Spirit, man. Woo! Gets me, you know, careful. They're going to label you charismatic, Brother Jonathan. They're going to think you're trying to bring drums and, and dancing and all kind of stuff in the church. No, it's not. The Holy Spirit is a valued, vital fact that the Scripture is clear about. I'm thankful that God gave us the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to protect us, to give discernment. Amen? If you are scared of the Holy Spirit, the next time you go buy a car, let me know what car you're going to buy, and I'm going to have move, move the motor out before you buy it. And then you're going to get it, and you're like, oh, I can't wait to get in this car, go buy one of them chargers, right? And get in that car, and you're all, wow, you're going to show the world what this thing will do, and you'll get in there and go, click. What's wrong? The power of the car is gone. The car has no power without the motor. As followers of Jesus Christ, without the Holy Spirit Church, we have no power. We have no ability. Because Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in us. That's scripture. And I'm so thankful about that. And I'm so thankful that I don't have to be apologetic for the power of God. I'm so excited today that I can't, I can't, in a million years, stand up here. Y'all might go, you try on Sundays to preach a million, <laughs> a million years on Sunday. I can't convince you in a million years on Sunday morning for 30 or 45 minutes that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, that God has an awesome purpose and plan for you. God will do what Ephesians 3.20, unto him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That's what God says in Ephesians Prove me wrong. Ephesians 3.20. You won't because I know that verse big time. That's what his promise is. You think that God, what is it? He has plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. God's not sitting around like we sometimes get into this devil-induced belief system of, oh, God's just waiting to smoke me. He's just sitting there going. But how many people grew up like that? Anybody else? Rest y'all hadn't? Well, I'm glad you didn't grow up like I did because I sat back just waiting to get smoked. I did. Because I believed that I was going to do something and God was just going to kill me. I believed that. You know what I didn't realize? I was never, and it wasn't even to do with my parents' church. It had to do with the schools I went to. I had a belief system that was completely false. It was a belief system that didn't talk about the Holy Spirit's ability to give me the life, strength, and the possibility of living according to God's purpose and plan for my life. 
And I'm so thankful today that I'm not a product anymore of a legalistic understanding of Christianity. That if I don't do this or I don't do that, God's sitting back just ready to get me. I'm thankful today that I'm able to understand that God loves me and that I came to him by grace and through faith, not of works. And I'm so thankful this morning, as I shared last Sunday morning, that on my worst day, the day that I feel like I've done nothing for the kingdom or maybe I've been bound in self-pity or frustration, not knowing what to do about something. And I'm so thankful on a day like that, God loves me as much as a day that God has done the greatest of works in the ministry that he's used me to be a part of. God loves me just as much on that day than he loves me the day that the powerful work of God's happened in the ministry like never before. See, that's what I'm so thankful, and I want you to know that today too. So if today you feel like you're in a desert and you're out there by all alone in a sea of people but don't feel like there's anyone on the planet with you, I know what that's like, but I want you to know that's just a lie from the enemy. He wants you to think that nobody cares about you. He wants you to think that your kid's more messed up than everybody else's and you're the worst parent that God ever stuck two legs on. You're the worst wife, you're the worst husband. The enemy just loves, you ready? What does Job say? Hey, the accuser of the brethren. That's what he is, the accuser of the brethren. And what he does is he sits back in our ear like he tries to do and accuse us in God's presence like it shows us in Job. And he likes to sit back and try to convince us that we're nothing other than a sorry, no good, no count, worthless individual that if, they, if he was God would have never saved you. Whenever he does that to me, I just say, you know what, amen to that. But I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ died for me and that I am worth and I have value because of him, not because of me. And I'm thankful that I'm his workmanship creating Christ Jesus to do good works and get thee behind me in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's what I do. And you have that same ability to do that today. So if depression, if fear, maybe you have chemical imbalances, maybe you have family that has mental illness battles, I understand it. You can talk to me about any of that stuff because I recognize that more than anybody else. Praise God in this body of Christ, God's used to, to over the 15, almost 16 years of deliverance that some people have gotten because they thought, man, there's something wrong with me. No, we are born in, an, in a flawed world, amen? And me being a product of, if you just met me, you know right now I am ADD times 20. I can't help that. That's the way I was, whether created or whether the, the plastics that they were pouring into the systems when I was a kid and whatever else for that matter made it. I use that as a blessing of realizing God doesn't make mistakes. And you have a church full of people that will walk with you, good, bad, or indifferent. My question today is, are you walking with him? Not religion. I'm not talking about religion. I want to know, are you walking with Jesus Christ today? What is he to you today? Because I want you to know he loves you. I've said it, and I can't imagine the number of times I've said it in here, but I want you to personalize that. Ready? For God so loved, and put your name in there. For God so loved Jonathan. Say it in your mind. For God so loved that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have life everlasting. You know, that's God's call to you today. And if you don't know what it means to know him, I want you to know today, he is passionate about you and he knows you and he knows where you're at. And he knows right now the desperation you feel. And you can allow the enemy to continue whispering and saying, you're worthless, you're this, you're that. Or, or the other one, everything's okay. Every, you're just emotional today. No, why don't you listen to the Lord? Because anybody who's gonna keep you from submitting to God's will, who's the only one that wanna 
if you feel like things need to get right, who's the only one that would try to convince you that it doesn't need right? You know as well as I do, the enemy. Don't listen to that. Listen to the voice of the God of creation that loves you passionately. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life, first, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for your sin, Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, and you want to live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.